Uh, hello, everybody. This is Nora McInerney. This is kind of terrible. Thanks for asking. Uh, just checking in. Want to see how everybody's doing. We are doing fine. And also, I mean, as a, as a parent, my children are primarily being educated by Disney Plus and the Nintendo Switch. I have to say, even if you don't have children, it is weirdly soothing to watch old movies on Disney Plus. I mean, movies from the 60s were very weird. I'm talking The Cat from Outer Space. I'm talking My Mother at the Car. It was a weird uh, time of anthropomorphizing objects and animals. And uh, and a lot of these movies are are problematic in different ways, but... The Parent Trap is weirder than you remember. The original Haley Mills one, weirder than you remember. Very strange. Also, they do not at all address the trauma that would come from discovering that you have an identical twin at camp and that your parents split you up in the divorce and just pretended the other parent and child did not exist. It's a wild ride. That's not the actual topic of today's show. Today's show doesn't really have a topic. Today's show is like a little break for you. It's a little emotional palate cleanser. It is intended purely to make you laugh. It is part of an audiobook that I recorded um, before quarantine, obviously. It is the audiobook for The Book Bad Moms, which is a novel that I wrote based on the movie Bad Moms, which is what put me into labor with my baby, who's no longer a baby. He's three years old. Uh, watched that at home, laughed so hard. I was like, ooh, something weird is happening. The weird thing was a baby was coming out of me. And uh, I, I don't even really know how it happened, but I got asked to write the 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 novel version and to take these hilarious characters and this funny plot line and, you know, turn it into a book and add depth and, and story and, you know, more than it can fit in a 90-minute uh, comedy film. I got to write a comedy novel. Very, it was so fun. It was so fun. So here's here it is. Here's a huge, big chunk of it for you. Um, just, to, just to make you laugh, we'll be back in your ears making you cry pretty soon. Okay, next week. <laughs> next week we'll be here to give you the emotional catharsis you're looking for, um, really pull those tears from your eyes, give you the the heavy sobs you've been relying on to relieve that emotional congestion. But today we're just going to laugh. And if you are a mom who who, who gave birth through through the through the you know, it, 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 there might be children listening. I think it's okay to say vagina. Anyways, I'm going to tell you, you, there's a risk of pants peeing. There's always a risk of pants peeing if you have given birth to a child. We know that. There's a reason why I don't participate at trampoline parks. That's a lie I do, but I I, I try to isolate myself because there will be a dampness. Why am I telling you all this? I'm so lonely. Oh my God, I'm sitting here at home, which is actually what I always do. I always work from home, so I don't know why I'm pretending like this is like some big disruption to my life. This has always been my life. I sit at home and I write and then I I, I sometimes get to go into the studio and actually see Marcel and see Jacob and see Hannah. But mostly we are working uh, not together, but because I can't see them, now I'm extremely lonely for them. So go analyze that, if you will. So here we go. Here's something funny for you. 
laugh, LOL, if you'd like to. Uh, you can laugh silently. I'm not going to tell you you must laugh out loud, but to me, that is the best way to laugh is I laugh like a cackling hyena-witch hybrid and everybody makes fun of my laugh. And I like that. I like that about myself. I like my weird laugh. Um, this is now a self-esteem tape for all of us. <laughs> Name a weird thing about yourself that you like. So um, reporting live from the floor of my dining room that is now my office because I was too lazy to go downstairs and sit in the car. Uh, so forgive me for the sound quality in here. I'm also bummed that we can't like go on a tour right now and see everybody. Did we have one planned? No, but now I'm lonely for that. Also, I just know things are so freaking hard. They're so hard for so many of us. So many of us are suffering and this is a really hard time for a lot of you. And I am so sorry. And I am thinking of you every day so much so that I have a little block of anxiety in my chest and I need to return my psychologist's phone call because she wants to talk before she just re-ups uh, my prescription for a controlled substance, which is very responsible of her. Um, okay, bye. Part one, summer. Chapter 1. Welcome to Hell. 2. McKinley Mom Squad. From Gwendolyn James. CC Principal Burr, McKinley Staff. BCC Gwendolyn James. Subject, McKinley Mom Squad 2019. Hello, mamas. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the leader of the McKinley Mom Squad, more commonly known as the PTA. I'm a mompreneur who runs the lifestyle blog that Reese Witherspoon called a must-read. Link here. I'm passionate about empowering all moms to step into the fullness of the motherhood journey. My girls, Blair and Gandhi, are proud McKinley Mustangs, and I've loved every minute of our time at this award-winning institution of learning. I hope you're all having a restful summer. You know the girls and I have been squeezing every drop of joy out of these past two months. If you've missed any of my daily posts, you can click here to sign up for my weekly newsletter and here to follow me on Instagram. But no matter how many puppies we save from being put down or visits we make to the homebound elderly, there's nothing that makes us happier than knowing the first day of school is just around the corner. In fact, it's just 33 days away. Click here to download my back-to-school checklist and get 10% off your next order from Amazon. Attached, please find the McKinley Mom Squad contract. It's not just for new moms. We've had some significant changes to our programming since our last meeting, which were outlined in our weekly podcast, on our website, and in our email newsletter. Our 100% involvement rate does not happen by accident. It happens because all McKinley moms take the below contract seriously. Please note that this is not a legally binding document, but that signing it binds you to something greater, the sisterhood of mothers in your community who are raising their children alongside yours. Please make sure you sign and return this to me within 24 hours or you will be placed on immediate probation. Looking forward to getting to know all of you this coming school year. In love and style, Gwendolyn James, aka at Gwendolyn James Style. McKinley Mom Squad Contract. I, your name here, being of sound mind and hot body, 
hereby dedicate myself to the betterment of McKinley School and to the achievement of my child. By signing this document, I agree to the following. To attend all PTA meetings within this school year. This includes our regularly scheduled bi-monthly, that means twice a month, not every other month, meetings, any and all emergency meetings, additional committee meetings for events I have committed to, and any other meeting that should arise at the behest of our leader. To serve on a minimum of two committees for this school year, knowing that two is the absolute minimum, and I'll likely have so much fun, I'll want to do even more. To ensure that any and all food I provide for the children of McKinley follow our dietary guidelines, link here. To ensure that any and all items I bring into our school are free of BPA, phthalates, parabens, GMOs, plastic of any kind, latex, soy, corn, or any corn byproducts. To do my best to put forth an attitude of gratitude and to be the change I wish to see in McKinley. XO, print and sign, name, date. Part two, fall. Chapter two, Amy. Six to 7 a.m., gym. Seven to 7.30, wake up kids, shower, start breakfast. 7.30 to eight, feed kids, walk dog, get dressed. Eight, wake up Mike. Eight to 8.30, morning huddle, call in. 8.15 to 8.30, school drop off. 8.30 to 9.30, weekly team meeting. 9.30 to 10.30, sales meeting. 10.30 to 11.30, marketing status meeting. 11.30 to 12.30, performance review, Tessa. 12.30 to 1.30, lunch. 12.30 to 1.30, meeting with Dale. 12.30 to 1.30, product tasting. 1.30 to 3. Block to do actual work. 3 to 4. Proposed. Meeting with Dale. 3.30 to 4. School pickup. 4 to 5. Proposed. Supply chain update. 5.30 to 6. Dinner. 6 to 7. Email catch-up. 6 to 7. Proposed. West Coast sales update. Remember when you were a kid and summer seemed like it was full of wonder and possibility? The days would be hot enough to go swimming and drink lemonade, and the nights cool enough for roasting marshmallows and catching fireflies. Perfectly sliced watermelon would appear before you even knew you were hungry, and you'd be carted to and from enough camps and sporting events to keep you from ever feeling bored. At night, you'd tumble into bed perfectly satisfied and exhausted into a deep and dream-filled sleep. In the morning, you'd leap from bed, fully rested and ready for a new day filled with new adventures. Well, behind all that joy and wonder was probably a mother wondering how the hell she was gonna manage to keep you entertained and alive for three months. A mother counting down the days until the first day of school. A mother like me. Summer is freedom for children and a prison sentence for mothers. At least during the school year, you can count on your kids being in one place for eight hours. Summer requires us to fill 60 to 80 days with a variety of activities that are somehow all scheduled to be as inconvenient as possible for anyone who may have a job outside of chauffeuring their children around. 
Every year since Dylan was born, I've sworn that this summer, I would take it slow. This summer, I would enjoy my life and my kids. Have you seen that meme about only having 18 summers with our children? Just 18 summers before they grow up and leave forever to repeat the cycle of wasted summers with children of their own. Well, I've wasted 12 of my 18 summers with Dylan so far. I wasted them working to support our family and driving the kids from activity to activity in a minivan whose interior is coated in a fine dust of Cheerio residue and melted ice cream. That meme can go to hell and take all the mom guilt with it. Every New Year's Eve, I'd take the time to envision the three of us enjoying picnic lunches and riding roller coasters and taking our dog, Roscoe, on long, leisurely walks every afternoon. I'd resolve to only work part-time and not part-time plus constantly being available on my phone at all hours of the night for my incompetent boss and his team of adult infants. I'd see myself making intricate salads with the mysterious vegetables in the CSA box I pick up every Friday at the school parking lot. That's how specific my vision was, that I'd actually know how to use a kohlrabi and the kids would like it. But, like the 12 summers before it, this was not the summer for enjoying myself. But you'd never know it looking at our end-of-summer assignments. By our assignments, I mean Dylan's and Jane's projects, which, of course, I helped with. I may have failed at summer, but my kids are going to start the school year with an A-plus on their summer reports. I haven't spent 10 years working in sales and marketing to let my kids turn in some handwritten essay on dirty, loose-leaf paper. Instead, I tap the interns at work to help me create two beautifully crafted cinematic recap videos, which are already up on YouTube and ready to show off to the class. Tonight, we'd watch them as a family after dinner, gathered around Mike's phone while our summer slid by our eyes set to music that sounded enough like Top 40 Pop to be enjoyable, but not enough like any specific artist to be flagged by YouTube. See, I'm a pro. Jane's video is a recap of her accomplishments. It's the summer that she read 33 books, attended seven soccer camps, was named most intense by her club soccer team, the Northern Mites, ran her first 5K, and won her age group. It does not include that of Jane's seven soccer camps, none started before the workday or ended at the lunch hour, and all required me to get to work late and leave early every day for seven consecutive weeks. Her club soccer team members, who just last year were more like a collection of girls in matching outfits aimlessly chasing a soccer ball, suddenly gained full control of all their appendages and shot to the top of their league. They won game after game after game, and with every congratulatory trip to the Dairy Queen for twist cones, we watched our hope for any relaxing summer weekends dissolve into a series of weekend soccer tournaments in far-flung suburbs where the dads seemed to be legally required to wear cargo shorts. The video montage includes Jane triumphantly scoring goal after game-winning goal. Our real-life montage would include that and the rest of us baking in the hot Midwestern sun for seven 
hours on a Saturday. So desperate for shade that Mike and I became the parents who started bringing a pop-up sun shelter with us to every game so we could at least see our phone screens without straining our eyes. One day, as the temperature hovered in the mid-90s with no cloud in the sky, I prayed for the first time in years. Dear God, I whispered, please let her team lose. The Lord refused to hear my prayer and punished me with an undefeated season and a child who is now officially addicted to winning. While I was trying to plot with God against my daughter, I should have been thanking him for Dylan. Sweet, sweet Dylan. His video was a challenge because it's hard to make dynamic content for someone whose summer was like one extremely long weekend. He slept late. He stayed up late. He wore a small groove into our couch, just the size of his skinny little butt. He will go back to school with a skin tone that's lighter than it was before summer started and with a possible vitamin D deficiency. The only clear memory I have of him from this entire summer was the day after he started coding camp, which I'd signed him up for, thinking it would be a creative and productive way for him to explore his love of video games. Tell us about camp, I said excitedly that night at the dinner table. Sure, he would absolutely ooze with enthusiasm over how I'd found the perfect activity for him. In so many ways, Dylan is an exact replica of his father. Of course, an actual boy child is supposed to look boyish. But looking at Dylan and Mike together, you can see that Dylan's future face will have the same charm it does now. Even when it's lined with light wrinkles and his hair sprouts a few strands of silver. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that, Dylan said leaning back in his chair the same way that Mike does when he's about to say something particularly annoying. I resigned today. Resigning isn't usually something one does from a fully voluntary activity that one's parents paid $200 for, but Dylan seemed undeterred when I questioned him about his word choice. Dylan continued, I think that with the limited resources we have for the summer, namely time, it would be a better use of those resources for me to just stay home with my Xbox. Plus, that's free. Good thinking, bud, Mike agreed. Plus, if you get good enough at this shit, you can make a Twitch account and live stream your little game thing and actually make us money. Mike winked at me, though I know him well enough to know when he's serious. Think about it, Amy. This kid could go from a cost center to a profit center for us by doing this shit. I know that I'm supposed to be limiting the kid's screen time. And you know what? I did limit his screen time by taking the Xbox controllers to work with me, which meant that he downloaded his favorite game to the iPad, which I then limited with a special app that he was somehow able to circumvent, which is when I gave up. That explains why Dylan's video is three minutes of Dylan spooning on the couch with Roscoe, Dylan conked out in the backseat of the car on the way home from one of Jane's tournaments, or photos of Dylan staring slack-jawed at the TV, with Roscoe tucked in next to him. I did the best with what I had, and titled the video, Dylan's Summer of Snooze. Not bad, right? Is that the bar I'm trying to meet? Not bad? 
I know from Instagram just how much summer the other mothers have squeezed from these past few months. I know whose kids went to language immersion camp, the Kalers, and whose kids spent time learning to program their own video games, the Wenners. And I'm pretty sure one of the eighth graders gave a friggin' TED Talk about climate change. It's late, and I should sleep, but I've been watching these videos over and over on my iPad. And with every view, it's clearer that I need to be better, be more present, be more organized. I need to do what all those old ladies in the grocery store checkout line would pressure me to do when Dylan and Jane were tiny monsters, squawking and screaming in the cart. Enjoy every minute, these women would say, blinking their watery eyes at me. It goes so fast. I would smile and bite my tongue because those days refused to go by. A single Monday could take three years to get through. Tonight, while the crickets are singing their end-of-summer song outside our windows, our kids are sleeping down the hall, and Mike is burning the midnight oil in his home office. I feel like he needs to take a productivity workshop because even I don't work that much after hours, and I'm at a startup. I'm way too tired to wait up for him. So I iMessage him the links to the video, waiting for his thumbs up emoji before putting on my sleep mask, my hand cream, and my mouth guard. Mike calls my nighttime routine the boner killer. It's just cool enough for the breeze to feel like autumn tonight. And I sense that changing of the seasons more sharply than I used to. As of this evening, my 13th summer as a mother is officially over. How did I do? Not bad, and not great. The CSA vegetables have all turned into a rotting soup in our fridge. Dylan is not yet a profit center for our family, but has probably developed a repetitive stress injury from pushing controller buttons all summer. I'm already late for everything on my calendar tomorrow, and tomorrow isn't even here yet. I had every intention of being early for the first day of school. I left Mike snoring gently, his phone still in his hand from the night before, and snuck downstairs, letting Ross go out for his morning pee, filling his water dish, and grabbing my keys and one of the million reusable water bottles the kids always leave on the counter. I suppose men can attend my gym, but it's marketed directly to moms. The lobby encourages you to remove your shoes and center yourself before entering. But since most of us are running five minutes late and want to get to our spot in class, it's really just a pile of ballet flats and flip-flops cast off on the way to class. The windows of each classroom are covered in sheer drapes that diffuse the outside light into a warm glow. The overhead lights are strictly prohibited, but the teachers pretend to light the flameless LED votive candles before each class. The class is always filled with other McKinley moms, the kind who wear coordinating Lululemon outfits and seem to never break a sweat. I tend to wear whatever I can pick up off the floor without turning on a light, which today is a shirt of Mike's that reads, Fill to Here with Margaritas. Squaring myself to the wall of mirrors, I notice that the fill line cuts right across my boobs, adding a touch of class to my ensemble. Class is 40 minutes long, which gives all of us enough time to get home and get our kids ready for school. 
Our instructor starts with some Sanskrit words, which seems slightly wrong, coming from a white woman named Kelsey. Then, before she presses play on her work bitch playlist, she asks us to silently dedicate our practice to someone. Send them your sacred energy, she whispers, handing each of us a small blue inflatable ball, which we dutifully tuck between our legs. For 40 minutes, we listen to Nicki Minaj and Ariana Grande and scoop our butts, carve our thighs, and pulse along to the instructions shouted at us from our instructor, who narrates and participates in the entire class. She has four children and absolutely no body fat, possibly because she spends three hours a day pulsing and scooping and carving, and possibly because I have never seen her eat a bite of food, even at the all-school picnic. This is my time, so I spend most of the class mentally going over my agenda during the day, and a fair amount pondering the fact that at least 60% of these women are married to dudes who consistently look as though they're eight months pregnant and who have never pulsed, scooped, or sculpted any part of their body, and definitely not at 6 a.m. Mike still has the body he had in college. Not totally ripped, but fit enough that my mom still showers him with compliments. Mikey, she purrs to him every time she stops over. I can't believe you have two kids. She says this like Dylan and Jane came out of his body and then ate from his nipples for 10 months each. This morning's class is too intense for my mind to wander far. I want you to pull up on those vaginal muscles, Kelsey screams over a late 90s rap song. Pretend like this ball said something terrible about your child. I squeeze as hard as I can until my thighs burn and my legs shake. Squeeze, squeeze like you're trying to suck that ball right into you using nothing but your legs and your vagina. I had dedicated this practice to my children. Any zen I had left from trying to suck an inflatable ball into my vaginal canal was gone by the time we left for school. Jane was not happy with her summer recap video. The teacher asked for a report, she cried, as if I'd betrayed her deepest confidence. This is a video? It's totally wrong. Dylan had looked at his sister sympathetically. I thought you'd be upset because all those photos make you look like a brontosaurus. Jane had responded by locking herself in the bathroom. Dylan had responded to that by telling her if she didn't open the door, he would pee in her dresser drawer. He'd done that once in his sleep, so the threat was credible. Mike had wandered into the hallway, eyes glued to his phone, just as I was attempting to pick the lock with a bobby pin, which is only possible on TV, and in real life is just a good way to waste a bobby pin and damage your bathroom door handle. What's going on? He'd asked none of us specifically, and the tension had dissipated immediately. Jane unlocked the bathroom door and slipped into Mike's arms for a hug. Dylan apologized to his sister without being asked and used the toilet instead of her dresser drawer. Mike pulled me into his arms for a group hug with Jane, who tried to wriggle away. No way, Janer, he laughed, pulling her face into his armpit. Jane screamed, and Dylan snuck out from the bathroom and jumped on Mike's back, shouting, Unhand her, fiend! Our house filled with my favorite sound, the laughter of my three favorite people. I love Mike for that, how quickly he can diffuse the chaos, even if it's him who caused it. 
but I hate that Mike's only real attempt at parenting is just making everything a joke. I hate that he always swoops in for the fun stuff and conveniently misses the hard stuff. And I really, really hate Mike for waiting until 7.48 to pull his fun dad card. And now we are most certainly going to be late for the first day of school. The speed limit on our city streets is 25, which means you can reasonably drive 30 and make the case that you're just keeping up with traffic, which means I'm driving extremely unreasonably, closer to 40 if I'm being honest, when our van pulls up to McKinley. We are not late. We could have actually been early if there wasn't a pointless one-way meant to calm traffic that forces us to zigzag our way to the front of the school. I'm tempted every day to just take the left on Sycamore, but Jane loves rules too much. Anyway, we are not late. School begins promptly at 8.10, and it's 8.07. And besides, there are plenty of other cars pulling up behind me, or at least one. Trans Am, maybe? The kind of car you typically only see people driving ironically or in music videos from the early 90s. Jane activates the sliding door the moment I put the van in park, and she and Dylan tumble out of the car. They both had told me all summer that this year I was to stay in the car at drop-off. Or, as Jane put it, under no circumstances should you exit your vehicle during school drop-off, do you understand? I had nodded yes every time. I had agreed to the terms of service. But on the very first day of school, when I'd always always jumped out to hug them goodbye? It's muscle memory that compels me to undo my seatbelt, to run around the front of my idling minivan, to pull them both close to me and smell their heads. Those first few years, I'd have to pry them off me, wipe their tears, and lovingly shove them toward the front door. But not this year. This year, before I can gather them into my arms, they've already merged into the stream of kids wearing two large backpacks, no doubt containing the standard How I Spent My Summer Report. A dull recap of their summer, printed on 8.5 by 11 paper and stapled in the upper left-hand corner, the way Jane would have liked. My throat aches. Am I going to cry? Are they really not going to glance back at me? Wait! I shout. I see their little bodies freeze in horror. I am addressing them in public. I have broken our verbal contract. They turn toward me, slowly and wordlessly. Their eyes say, if you say another word, we will both scream for help. Their mouths shout, what? There are moments in life when you have to lean into the awkwardness you've created. This is one of them. I love you guys so much. I scream, holding my hands up in a heart shape. I love my babies. Jane and Dylan blanch, more horrified than I've seen them since the day they walked in on me and Mike watching Fifty Shades of Grey on a Saturday morning. They both turn coolly away from me and walk toward the first day of sixth and eighth grades. Hey, Amy. A crisp voice calls out. I turn to see Gwendolyn James, standing with her posse, wearing what I'm sure she believes is a sincere-looking smile. Gwendolyn is waving at me with perfectly manicured fingers, non-toxic, small-batch polish, her giant diamond ring, 
hashtag conflict-free, I know, dazzling in the morning light. This is my punishment for embarrassing my children. I will now be forced to interact with this woman. Hey, guys. I smile back and find myself drifting over, drawn by the irresistible gravity of social etiquette. I don't know how you do it, Gwendolyn sighs. You leave your kids all day and go to work? You're so strong. I hesitate, startled by the brazen backhanded compliment and unsure how to respond. Gwendolyn frowns, mistaking my silence. You do still work, right? I catch her eyeing my blazer, which, yes, does have a little bit of cream cheese on the lapel. Yes, I say, trying to smile. I work. Well, she says, that's probably why I haven't heard back from you about this year's Mom Squad fiscal plan. Fuck. Maybe 49 hours had passed since she sent her last email, and no, I had not replied. I had intended to reply, but I barely have time to read my emails, let alone reply to them. I'm sure somewhere in my millions of drafts of unsent emails, there are at least 30 replies to Gwendolyn, each attempting to say as positively as possible, please just assign me a committee or push me off a cliff. Your choice. You didn't get my reply? Huh. I say, playing dumb as I scroll through my phone. I'll resend it. I bet it got caught up in your spam filter. Gwendolyn smiles charitably, her teeth so white they look nearly iridescent. She has a face so pretty you really have to hate her and a personality to match. It's not that I don't like Gwendolyn. Everyone likes Gwendolyn. Everyone likes Gwendolyn because they have to like Gwendolyn. She's at Gwendolyn James style the authority on motherhood for our school, our neighborhood, and for her 144,000 Instagram followers who shower her with praise for things like a photo of her coffee cup placed in the perfect light of her perfectly white kitchen or her inspirational phrases like mom all day, then rosé. I don't get it, but I do get it. Like everyone else at McKinley, I follow everything that Gwendolyn does. It's a form of digital self-harm, comparing my mothering to hers, comparing my children to hers, comparing my house, my clothes, my car, my life to hers. I've seen every blog post, every Instagram story. It's a great way to make sure you avoid running into her, actually. Seeing Gwendolyn is like being hit by a sniper. You don't know what's happened until she's already taken her shot and your guts are spilling out on the concrete in front of you. Dramatic? Maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe if you look closely enough at something shiny and beautiful, you start to see that it's made mostly of Instagram filters and clever angles. When Dylan started at McKinley, one of Gwendolyn's friends had complimented my dress. We were all volunteering at one of the many special days McKinley has for its students. A series of carnivals and farmers markets and artisanal craft fairs where the children sell their own handmade wares and then donate the money to charity. That compliment had meant a lot to me. It had eased some of the anxiety I had about being so much younger and so much poorer than the other moms. They had arrived in outfits made by brands I hadn't even heard of, bought in stores I never thought of walking into. 
I was shopping in the clearance section of Old Navy. Still do, always will. And before I could blurt out, it only cost $8.97, Gwendolyn had filled the momentary silence. She's in great shape because running late is her cardio, she said breezily. And we'd all exploded in laughter, even me. Laughing seemed easier than saying, wait, what do you mean? Is this about the time I tried to sneak into kindergarten orientation late and on a conference call and the principal called me out? Are you talking about the time that Dylan refused to perform in the holiday concert until I arrived? But my boss had called an all-hands meeting for 6 p.m. on a Thursday, so I didn't walk in the door until the last song, which meant that Dylan spent 47 minutes lying on the floor of the stage? For months, I replayed the interaction over and over in my head, trying to decipher her secret code. Eventually, I realized the message was loud and clear. Gwendolyn James is an asshat. We will be right back. We're back. Chapter 3. Carla. First day of school. Starts at 8.10 a.m. Vag waxes 10 to 3. Jeopardy at 4. Karate at 5. What I Did on My Summer Vacation by Jackson Dunkler. This summer ruled... I heard the weather was beautiful, but I can't confirm that since I slept until about 3 p.m. every day and then spent the rest of the daylight hours sitting in a cloud of my own farts and playing Fortnite. Every evening, I took a break from my gaming to go to baseball practice for three hours. My mom, who is super cool and takes karate, drove me in her awesome car. The only bad thing about my mom is that she's so hot that my teammates' dads get uncomfortable around her so she can't come to a lot of the games. The hottest thing about my mom is her brain. Not many people know that my mom has read the entire Harry Potter series or that she was voted raddest by her high school class. She's gotten the final Jeopardy question right twice. She loves Sudoku. She can also change the oil in a car and drive a stick. Surprising, right? Nobody expects a lady who looks like her to have it all. This year, I'm looking forward to playing more baseball and having the coolest, hottest mom at McKinley. Jackson's handwriting looks like a chimp got a hold of a ballpoint pen. Seriously, one time, a guy at the strip mall had a chimp he had taught to use a pen, and if you paid him $10, the chimp would write your name on an index card for you. Looked just like Jackson's handwriting, but I still got a chimp card. I used that chimp card as an inspiration for this report. I also held the pen in my left hand, which made it look halfway believable. This year, Jackson's finally got a good teacher. And by a good teacher, I just mean a hot dude teacher. I think any teacher is a good teacher because anyone who can handle being around more than one kid for more than an hour at a time clearly has a gift. But none of Jackson's teachers have been anything near bangable. Mrs. Weaver was pretty hot, but she was stone cold. You could just tell her vagina had formed a layer of ice over it years ago. This year, Jackson is Mr. Nolan, the only male teacher who wasn't alive during the Vietnam War. He's tallish. He has most of his hair. And one time when he was wearing short sleeves, I saw a little bit of a tattoo peeking out from under his sleeve. And it wasn't one of those dopey floral tattoos that guys have now. This was a straight up barbed wire armband. Hot stuff. And not what you'd expect from a man with a deep side part and a collection of pastel polo shirts. Mr. Nolan is a solid six, even in his pleated khakis. And you only get one chance to make a first impression. 
I wasted that first impression by threatening to run him over in the crosswalk last year, but I doubt he remembers every confrontation he has in the school parking lot. And this way, he'll be able to get to know the real me through a trusted source, my dumb son who forgot to do his own summer report. Nobody can call Jackson dumb but me. He's dumb in a cute way, like a puppy chasing its tail or a baby trying to play with itself in the mirror. Nothing gets Jackson down, and the only thing he ever worries about is baseball. I have no idea how he got into baseball, but he's freakishly good at it. I would love to take credit for that, but I did my best to keep him out of sports. Signing a kid up for sports is just signing away your free time as a parent, and I love my Carla time. It's hard to even tell who's good at baseball. There's so much standing around, but I've heard from a lot of coaches and a lot of parents that Jackson's good. But more importantly, he's a good kid. He may not be the sharpest bulb in the pack, but unlike a lot of the kids at McKinley, my kid isn't an entitled brat. I handed him his report in the car, and he grunted out thanks between bites of his breakfast. The paper looks suspiciously clean, but luckily that lovable doofus hasn't figured out how napkins work, and his report was instantly smudged with grease stains. Most Arby's don't open until 10 a.m., but the cashier at the Marshall Street location is an old friend of mine, and since he sleeps in the parking lot, he doesn't mind making my boy a couple of beef and cheddars before school. McKinley is a circus when we arrive. There are dozens of vans idling in the street in front of the school, and the traffic cop, whose only job is to keep things moving, has given up entirely. He's standing there, dejected in the middle of the street, not even bothering to direct the moms who refuse to even notice his orange traffic flag. The whole drop-off line is dumb as hell. They expect you to just inch forward in the right-hand lane until your car reaches the front of the school. They even mark the left lane as no drop-offs, painted repeatedly in giant yellow letters right on the road. But fuck that. We're late, and there's still a whole line of mom-mobiles moving so slowly they're probably in reverse. I whip up the left lane, ready to plead illiteracy to anyone who gives me shit and slam the car into park. Love you. Jackson mumbles, kissing me on the cheek with his greasy mouth. Jackson lumbers away from the car with his bag of Arby's and a backpack that will probably never see an actual book. I don't bother trying to take a photo. They do those at school. I swear, back to school is like a drug for these moms. And I say moms only because the pickup and drop-off and PTA and volunteers are a solid 95% female. And not single moms, either. I'm a weirdo here. A complete outlier. Most of these broads have perfectly able-bodied husbands who all seem to have a disability that prevents them from doing jack shit for their kids. McKinley is known for the smoking hot moms, and I say that absolutely, including myself. Now, for my taste, most of the McKinley moms are a little uptight. Nobody who runs without an assailant behind them can possibly be very good in the sack, but the men in our suburbs seem to get the appeal of a skeleton, cased in a very slender, very tan meat sack, and wrapped in Lululemon. The McKinley dads, though, they don't get enough credit. I know because I spend 40 hours a week waxing their wives' labia and trimming their cuticles. And all those bitches do is complain about their husbands. Keith is too fat. Jonathan is distant. All 37 mats seem to be unable to tell the difference between Real Housewives of Orange County and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. 
Kevin's bonus wasn't as big as they'd expected, and now Tabby has to break it to the kids they won't be going to Nantucket for the summer. Instead, they'll be slumming it in Door County, Wisconsin. It's going to be humbling. None of these dads are Vin Diesel, but the men of McKinley have their charms. And even though I definitely could, I don't sleep with married men, and I don't have sex with them either. Dom Toretto said it best, a man's gotta have a coat. Dom Toretto is Vin Diesel's most popular character from the Fast and Furious filmography, obviously. He's why I bought my car. I met Vin at a bar in the city one night, and he was selling his favorite street racing car because he just had too many, and he wanted to spread the love of racing. He had me pay him cash so he could protect his privacy. All I have to remember him by is this car and the four hours we spent in the back seat together. Oh, and a selfie I took with him right before we banged the first five times. I wish I hadn't been so drunk because it's too blurry to really tell that it's Vin. And I'm 90% sure it was him. 70% sure. People act like he'd have no reason to be in the Midwest on a Tuesday in February, but people are dumb as hell. But back to dads. A jock dad looks great, but is usually too insecure to have any fun. Jonathan spent the entire 10 minutes we were together looking at his own abs in the mirror. A boring dad is kind of perfect if you just want a warm body on top of you and someone who agrees to bring a tray of takeout nachos with him when he comes over. My personal favorite is a sad dad, one whose divorce is fresh like Keith. Keith is a little chunky, but since the divorce, I've seen him at the karate studio nearly every day working out his rage issues. He's still got a pot belly, but what's not to like about a guy who makes you look fitter the moment he takes off his shirt? A sad dad's standards are low enough that anything you do will be considered off the charts hot. They've been poking around in the same vagina for at least a decade, so you don't even need to do anything. You can just lie there, bite your lip, and say a few curse words, and they'll think you're a sex goddess. And then there's the holy grail, the widowed dad. You get all the benefits of a divorced dad, but without a crazy ex-wife to deal with. We only have one at this school, so far at least. I mean, anything can happen. Jesse would be the hottest dad at McKinley, even if his wife were alive, but the fact that he's grief-stricken and hot just makes his stock soar. I swear when he walks into a room, you can hear the other moms wishing their husbands would die. Not painfully, just in their sleep, maybe. And I don't blame them. I'm not usually into extremely handsome men with flawless bodies, aside from Vin, of course. But Jesse releases a special pheromone that makes all the moms want to heal his broken heart with sex. Nobody, to my knowledge, has accomplished this yet. Once Jesse was wearing his daughter's frozen backpack at drop-off and the moms lost their shit over her two perfect French braids. They were good braids, but these bitches acted like they'd never seen a braid before. They wanted to know everything. What hair products did he use? Did he watch a YouTube tutorial or was he just a natural? Even their compliments sounded like questions. And the giggling. It was nonstop. You'd think Jesse was doing a stand-up set and not just standing up. Jesse makes all these women completely insane. I don't see them tripping all over each other like, Jennifer, that braid. Amanda, you packed a lunch. I'm not saying Jesse isn't a good dad. I'm just saying, Jesse is treated like a living saint for just doing shit a parent is supposed to do. The same women who look down on me and Jackson, who I know whisper about how I dress and why I don't have a ring on my finger, think that Jesse is some kind of hero for doing the same shit we all do every single day. The mom groups are breaking up, 
and the traffic cop is showing new signs of life, attempting to guide the minivans into my personal fast lane. I rev the engine of my Trans Am and peel out, watching in the rearview mirror as each mom's head snaps in my direction. Show's over, ladies. So everyone, that was Bad Moms, or at least part of it, a novel I wrote based on a movie that put me into labor. And this is Nora McInerney. Thank you to the HarperCollins team for, I don't know, recording that. Thank you to uh, Babylon Studios here in Minneapolis, where I I recorded that in their studio. They are so wonderful. I've actually recorded all of my audiobooks there, and they are so lovely. And they always have my favorite snacks and my favorite tea. Thank you to Marcel for cutting this episode. And thank you to Sally Mug. You're great. Thank you to my mom. You were terrible in a wonderful, beautiful way. Um, and you inspired me to be my own kind of bad mom, which is really the only kind of mom that I'm interested in being. That book is available where you buy books. You can get a signed copy from Subtext Books here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Eventually, I will sign them. Eventually, they will get mailed out to you. The book's supposed to be out on April 14th, 2020, but look around you. I mean, who, what's what's going to happen? Who knows? There's an audiobook, obviously. There's an ebook. There's good lord. We're all doing our best. We're all we're all doing our best. We're all doing our best. That's just what I keep repeating to myself over and over. And over again, I'm out of breath purely from talking. Um, If you're wondering, where are Nora's kids? I I thought she was like recording at home. Yeah, I am. They're all playing Mario Kart, okay? And probably when Marcel is done editing this, he's going to jump on Mario Kart on his Nintendo Switch. (laughs) And we're all going to race each other, okay? That is a valid form of parenting, and it counts. How about that? So um, that's what we've been up to. We're also just, you know, um, hmm, hmm, it's snowing here. Okay, this is called the Minnesota goodbye. It's where you just never get off the phone or leave somebody's home because you just keep talking long after the time has come to leave. We are a production of American Public Media. We are still making podcasts. We are public media. So if you want to support public media, go to ttfa.org slash donate. If you don't, that's also okay. It doesn't make you a bad person, okay? Um, All right, well, see you later, guys. Bye, Marcel.